name we pray. Amen. Well, again, uh, if you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you see in our bulletin that we are focusing really on verse 13, a singular verse this evening as we think about uh, the preached word there in uh, the churches of Thessalonica. Uh, As Paul has already established, he has been a a gentle mother uh, to the Thessalonian believers. He has cared for them. He has sacrificed for them. Uh, He has loved them. Uh, not on an impersonal level, but on a very personal, uh, relational level, uh, that he has lived among them, he has preached the gospel to them, he has cared for them, even so much so that he has done it here in Thessalonica, what is implied here in our verses that we handled last week, for free. Uh, he He has recognized that there is a responsibility from him and the apostles not to put a financial burden Uh, upon the believers, the church of Thessalonica. Uh, They are young infants in their church growth process. And so he says, I have labored all night making tents so that I might labor all day and preaching the gospel so that I would not be a burden to you. And of course, last week we began looking at what a a God-pleasing ministry uh, would look like. Uh, and even we referenced a, a analogy of sorts uh, there in verse uh, 11 and 12 of thir- 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he says, Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Well, with that being our context, and admittedly, we will spend some time in 11 and 12 uh, yet again. Let us read our text for the evening, verse 13. People of God, hear the word of God, for it's written for you and to you. And we also thank God constantly, or maybe your translation says, without ceasing, for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, as I think about what Paul has committed himself to uh, here in Thessalonica, as he has done ministry amongst these believers in this uh, hub of a city, I think about the major difference between a lecturer and a pastor. Maybe we would be better to say a lecturer and a shepherd. A number of years ago, uh, the session and I uh, read together a book by Dr. Timothy Whitmer called The Shepherding Leader, or The Shepherd Leader. And throughout all of that book, it really established a shepherding model for the local ministry where we would understand that it is our duty as elders of the church to not only know the sheep in which we are shepherding, but also feed the sheep the word of God. You see, it's here that I think that Paul is establishing a very important part of the gospel ministry here amongst the believers in Thessalonica 
I am not here to give academic lectures about the things of faith. I am here to preach. In fact, I think he would say that I am here to feed the sheep. Now, it's, not, uh, it's probably not new news to you, uh, but while me and Pastor Don were in seminary uh, studying for our Master of Divinity degrees, we had to take a number of preaching or hermeneutics classes. Admittedly, uh, Erskine, where I went to seminary, didn't have the preaching labs that uh, RTS, where Pastor Don went. Uh, but nonetheless, we had to preach... Uh, sample sermons before our classmates. We had to read a number of preaching books and we had to see how uh, delivery and personalities and styles all differed even amongst our uh, classmates and even amongst our professors. I was glancing even at my um, bookshelves in my office uh, this afternoon as I was uh, reviewing my notes for this evening's sermon And I began to wonder, how many books on preaching do I have here in my office? And just books on preaching, not pastoral ministry that have has chapters on preaching or multiple chapters on preaching, but just preaching. How many books do I have in my office? And it was over 20. And I thought about all the different styles that these authors preached with. I've heard pretty much every one of them. Uh, The different personalities that they preached with. The different ways that they, you know, styled or, or mapped out or organized, outlined their sermons. All these things were different. And yet, as I began to thumb through some of these 20 books, I realized something that was the same. That there was an utmost reverence to the preaching ministry of the church. You know, the Puritans, our Puritan brothers, those who have gone before us, used to call the, the pulpit the sacred desk. And I always wondered about that. Why did they call it the sacred desk? Because they did not believe in sacred spaces. If you don't know what that means, they did not think that there was anything really, really spectacular about a sanctuary. They would even not use the language of a sanctuary. They would just say it's the worship hall or the meeting hall. But they would use the sacred desk as the name for the pulpit. Why did they do such a thing? And it was exactly what Paul writes here in verse 13. Because the Puritans and all these authors that I began to thumb through this afternoon, they considered the Bible preached not to be mere words of man, as you see there in verse 13, but as what it really is, the word of God. Of God, you see, there's something something very spectacular. Even uh, I would say something supernatural happening here when we sit under the preaching of the Word. While your pastor is a fallible man, uh, a sinful man, uh, Pastor Don would fit into those ranks as well. Uh, when we preach the Word of God, we are preaching a word that is inerrant, infallible full of authority, it's full of application and full of reproof or rebuking, it's full of exhortations, it's full of comforts, it's full of charges. And in fact, you notice that those three last adjectives is exactly how Paul outlines his method for preaching the Word 
in verses 11 and 12. If you'll let your eyes glance back to even our text that we handled last week, it really starts there in verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Now you have to understand something about the way Paul is writing. He is writing these three words or these three phrases. They're actually phrases in the original Greek so that you might understand the role of preaching uh, in the life of the believer, in the life of the church, in the life of Christian experience, we might say. He says first that we have exhorted each one of you. This word exhorted means something like we have called or urged or we have pleaded with you. We have encouraged you to action that you might walk in a way that is worthy of God, the same God who has called you into His own kingdom and glory. You know, it's here that as he begins to talk about this exhortation, this call, this urging, this pleading, what are we calling believers to? What are we calling believers to in our preaching? Well, we're calling believers to faith. And you say, well, Matt, they're already believers. Why are we calling them to faith? And you remember the the scene as, as Jesus leaves the Mount of Transfiguration as He comes down with Peter, James, and John. He finds the rest of the apostles there and they're trying to cast out this demon. And He begins to say something along the lines of, well, this kind cannot be cast out with anything but prayer. And the Father falls before Jesus and He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. You see, it is the believer's life that needs more faith. Well, of course, we're calling unbelievers to faith. We're calling sinners to faith. It's the idea that the offer of the gospel is free and for all. And yet we're calling believers at the same time to more faith. To have a deeper trust in the Word of God. To have a deeper trust in the person and work of Christ. To have a deeper trust uh, in the gospel and the promises of the gospel. We go through seasons of, of doubt. We go through seasons of frustration. We go through seasons of spiritual anxiety. And we need reminders that our Lord is faithful. It's exactly what the Apostle says, isn't it? That He is faithful even in the times that we are faithless. That faithlessness that the Apostle talks about is written to believers. And, and that that whole point of the gospel that He is faithful even when we are faithless is a call to more and more faith. So we're calling sinners to faith by the free offer of the gospel that Jesus Christ will save all who call upon His name for salvation. He'll save everyone who comes to Him in faith and repentance. And at the same time, Paul says that we're calling believers to even deeper faith. We're exhorting them. We're urging them. We're pleading with them for faith and for holy living. That's exactly what he says there at the end of verse 12. We're exhorting you to walk in a manner worthy of God. 
And it demands that we re-ask the question that we approached even last week in verses 1 through 6. It's as if the Apostle Paul is asking us, why are we a Christian? Are we a Christian so that we might receive a, a license to live in our sinfulness, our sinful identities, our sinful patterns? Are we Christians to live for God's glory? Paul says very clearly here that we are exhorting each one of you so that you might work or walk in a way that is pleasing to God in a manner worthy of Him. But you also notice there that he uses another phrase, another word. Not only did they exhort, but they also encouraged. I actually think that a better translation, and maybe your translation or your version of God's Word has this, and comforted you. Comforted you. It's this idea that Paul says that the Word of God not only gives you a call, an urging, an exhortation to follow Christ, but that it also at the same time encourages you to walk with Christ or comforts you in your walk with Christ. If we were to do some scratching at the original language here, the Greek, because it's in the New Testament, it's as if uh, Paul is using that same language that Jesus uses in John chapter 14 when he's promising the Holy Spirit. He says, it's better for me to, to go so that the Comforter, talking about the Spirit, might come. He says that the Word of God comforts us. It speaks to us in a, in a friendly manner. It rouses us and shows us what ought to be done. It strengthens us, us for, for action. And so, it, so Paul's saying that the Word of God comes alongside of us to assure us of our salvation. Assure us of our salvation. You, you might understand where I'm trying to go with that. If we're to be exhorted to have more faith, if we are to be exhorted in preaching to live holy lives, that means that there are times, there are seasons in which we are not living uh, for the glory of Christ. You know, there are times where we have besetting sins, ongoing sins that we cannot shake. There are times that we, uh, we stray far from the Lord. There are times in our spiritual doubting that we feel as if God is not near. The Word comes alongside of us and it comforts us. It encourages us. It's a friendly reminder, if you will, that our salvation is, is sure in Christ because He is the sure foundation of our justification and our future glorification. Again, it's what the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 2 where we will see Christ on that day, on that last day, and on that day we will be like Him. It's what Paul writes in Philippians, that the good work that he's started in us, he will bring to its completion. And so not only is there a call to more faith, is there a call to more obedience, but there's also this same idea that it assures us that even when we feel away from Christ, He is close. And He is there. And by His Word, He is not silent. But look at that third word, charged. 
we charged. It's this, this idea that uh, it, there's an emphatic, if you will, an emphatic affirmation, a, a, a serious declaration, an assertion that we must be born again. We must live worthy of Christ. It's this idea that not only will the Word of God encourage us, but it will also convict us. That it will show us the holiness and the justice of God towards sinners, and it will show us the error of our ways. It will rebuke us where we need rebuking, and it will step on our toes exactly where it needs to step on our toes. Oftentimes, in growing up in the Pentecostal church, I remember hearing multiple people as they walked out of the sanctuary, uh, they would say something along the lines of, Pastor, I should have wore my steel-toed boots today because you really preached all over my toes. Well, it wasn't the preacher preaching all over your toes. It was the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. But nonetheless, we understand what that feels like. We hear a sermon. We hear the word preached. And there's times that it begins to convict us, show us our errors, show us our sinfulness, and at the same time show us the holiness of God. And so Paul says that they've committed themselves to this sort of method, this sort of teaching. It's full of exhortation, it's full of comfort, it's full of encouragement, but it's also full of conviction, rebuke, reproof, a charging to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. But remember the analogy that he starts it with. It's like a father with his children. And so all the fathers in here ought to pay attention. Is this the kind of household? Is this the kind of way that we're leading family worship or we're feeding our children? Just as the analogy says, a father has the right Better yet, the the Father has the role, the God-commanded role to exhort, to comfort, to encourage, to charge His children there in His household. He's saying that same authority, that same role in which fathers do it in their household, we do it here within the local church, and we will answer for the way that we teach and lead. We know from texts like Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 12, that, that where God has given the role of authority to elders within the church and fathers within the home, that they will answer for the way that they disciple their children. That they'll answer for the ways that they lead the congregation. And so here it is that, that, that the manner of teaching, you might say, has been like a father does with his own children. They stand. They execute their calling because God has given them the authority and the role to do so. And there's something that needs to be mentioned here in this fatherly kind of role, this analogy of the father in the household. Notice who he says the recipients of his preaching are. We exhorted... Read those next four words. Each one of you. It reminds me of that, uh, that text that the Apostle Paul writes. There's no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female within the household of God, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And so, so as Paul is preaching, he's not just preaching to the spiritually smart or gifted. He's not preaching just to men. He's not preaching just to adults. He's preaching to the household of God. And a very practical outworking of this as Presbyterians believing that the children belong to the covenant of God, we believe that children have a role within the, the preaching ministry of the church. That even as my children, five and three and five months, sit under the preaching of the Word, we know that they might not understand each and every phrase or each and every turn of a word, and yet we know that the Spirit is at work. And the Spirit is applying these truths into their hearts. And, and the Spirit is, is allowing even a youngster's, a youngster's mind to turn so that they might grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You see, as Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonian church, he, he has written it with the idea, with the expectation that it would be read within a, a worship service of the local church on the Lord's Day. And so all the men and all the women and all the children would be sitting in a sanctuary, a meeting place, much like this. And Paul, Paul's letter would begin to be read unto them. And so he says, just like I have preached to each and every one of you, there is a way that we are to walk worthy of the Lord's calling as a five-year-old or a fifty-year-old as a male or as a female, as a boss at work, or just a, a, subordinate, a subordinate employee. The gospel preached impacts the way that we live no matter what role and in what place we might be. As a father does his own children, he has exhorted, he has comforted, he has charged these Thessalonian believers and they have shown fruit. You notice there in verse 13, as he says that they have received the Word of God, not as mere words of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. He says, it is at work within you believers. Now you think about Paul here being the spiritual father, being a spiritual father of these believers at Thessalonica. You can imagine that he has kind of the same response as the Apostle John in 3 John verse 4. He says, there is no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And there's a big difference, isn't there, from what the Apostle John is saying and even what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's not that they just know the truth, it's that they live out the truth. We understand, don't we, that the right hearing of God's Word being preached is obedience. You know, I've used that illustration before uh, of, of a baseball game, and you see those coaches on third base and on first base, and they're doing all those funny hand motions. They're swiping down their arm. They're tapping their head twice. They're wiggling their nose. They're scratching their eyebrows. It's all a, it's all a sign, isn't it, for the base runners or the pitcher or the catcher or the batter, all of these things are happening in the, in the ball game. And you, as, as the viewer, you have no clue what's going on. You can see those coaches doing all those funny hand motions, and yet you don't know that they've got the hand motions right until it's executed, right? And that's exactly what the Word of God 
is to do for each and every one of us. It is to be heard and understood and then executed. It's written in such a way and it's preached in such a way that Paul says that we do not know that you're rightly hearing the Word of God until you walk in a manner worthy of His name. And so he's saying, it has done my heart much good to see you as my spiritual children walking in the truth, not merely knowing it, not just getting the answers right on a theology exam, but you are living a life that's reflective of Jesus. You know, as, as, a, as a father, you know, it's often been my prayer, in fact, it's every day my prayer that my kids would have that boring testimony, right? That they would never remember a day that they did not know who Jesus was, did not know their need for Him and His salvation. And I pray constantly, Lord, let us see fruit in their lives, even as a five-year-old, even as a three-year-old. Let me see fruit in their lives that they know the gospel and they live out the gospel. You know, of course, as a five-year-old can, but let them show forth Christ. Let me know that they are getting what daddy and mommy are, 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 are teaching them, are proclaiming to them. And you would... And you would say, hey, you know, maybe on the wedding day, it does my heart much good to see my daughter or see my son striking out to start a new family and they have walked in a way that is worthy of the Lord. That's where Paul is. He's a proud papa, it seems. You've accepted the Word of God for what it really is and not only... Have you heard it? But we can see that you know that the Word of God is in fact the Word of God because it is at work in you believers. God has called you into His own kingdom and His own glory and you have responded faithfully. You have rightly heard the Word of truth because you are living out the Word of truth. Now think about the opposite of that. The grief the grief that Paul would feel if they were not living out the gospel, if they were not living out the truth. If there's no greater joy in your heart to see your children walking in the faith, think about there would be no greater grief than that seeing your child departing from the truth. Even now as as we discipline Brooks and, and Anna Kate, is so often said in our home, Brooks, you know better. Anna Kate, you know better. And in fact, the same thing could be said for those who have hardened their heart away from or against the preaching of the Word. You know, so often we are reminded that there are two responses to the Word preached. Either you can hear it, accept it, believe it, and obey it, Or you can harden your heart and say, I don't need it. I don't need Christ and His salvation. I don't need Him teaching me how to live. I'm going to do life on my own terms. I'm going to do life my own way. I'm going to be my own God. Either the gospel preached softens, continues to soften your heart, or the gospel preached continues to harden your heart. And on that day of judgment, when we stand before the throne of our great God and King, for those who have sit or sat under the preaching of the Word, it's as if the Father of Heaven will look at you and say, you knew better. 
where much is received, much is expected. You knew better. I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting to when He says that there will be some who stand before the throne of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we said that we believed in Your name and haven't we done great works for the kingdom? And He will still say, depart from Me, for I never knew You. You knew better. May we never hear those words from the Father in heaven that we knew better. May we never be those who grieve His heart by not obeying, but may we be those who, like in Thessalonica, would say that we have received the Word of God. We have received it not as mere words of men, but for what it really was, the words of God, and may it always be at work in our hearts and in our lives for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this, your word, and we pray, O Lord, that it would convict us where it needs to convict us and encourage us where it needs to encourage us, that it would comfort us and yet at the same time rebuke us if that is what's needed, so that we might execute our calling to live worthy of Christ's name, whether that be at work or at home, at church, in our community. May we live out the transforming grace of God. May we not just know about you with the head, but may we always say that the gospel of God has changed our hearts, changed our lives, and has, and has, has caused us to pursue Christ uh, in our daily ways. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen.